We're going to be a little controversial today as we're going to unpack what I believe is the most misquoted verse in the entire Bible regarding money. Whether you're a Christian or a religious person or not, it doesn't matter. This is probably something you have heard and probably quoted your entire life. And we get it wrong, and it has huge implications that is screwing up our culture because of this misunderstanding and misquote. So we're going to get spicy today as we talk about money and the Bible, and we're going to get to the heart of what it really, really says and the implications for us in the marketplace as entrepreneurs, in our families as we raise our kids, and in general how we view the world and the economy. We are way screwed up. I want to set you free, and I want to encourage you today. So let's unpack the most misquoted verse in the entire Bible about money. Welcome back to the Graham Cochran Show, where each week I'm helping you unpack the mindset, strategies, and habits to help you build a highly profitable and life-giving business. I'm your host, Graham Cochran. Good to see you. I'm glad you are tuning in either on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to consume this. Uh, we're going to get spicy, like I said in the intro today, and we're going to jump right in. Um, I pretty much blatantly a Christian. If you don't know that, you know now. I don't hide that. It's a huge part of who I am in my life. I don't know why I would hide that, but we're in this weird culture where you're supposed to hide your beliefs unless there's a certain set of beliefs, and then you can be very vocal about them. I won't get into that today, but uh, I'm a Christian. It's a huge part of who I am, so welcome to the party. Uh, you don't have to adopt my faith just because it's my faith. You don't have to adopt my beliefs just because they're my beliefs, just like my friends don't have to like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just because that's my team, but I can still talk about it, right? Uh, but it's really, really important that we unpack this huge misquoted verse. So I'm going to read you the verse. We're going to unpack it. And then I have some key thoughts for you that I think are very, very important. If you're a Christian, this is really important that you get this right because you were probably taught wrong and our culture is so confused. And by culture, I mean Christian culture is so confused on this topic. And it's, it's really causing a lot of people, especially if you're getting into business or if you have been blessed with a big income, you're, you're, you're going to feel this tension that I'm going to talk about in a second where you feel like you're driving down a highway in a car at 70 miles an hour with your foot on the gas pedal and the brake at the same time, it's not going to end well. Uh, so if you're a Christian, this is really important. If you're not a Christian, this is just as important for you because I think the takeaways are profound. If you live by what I'm going to unpack, at the very end, I'm going to give you what I believe is the biblical formula for prosperity, which that word might be a, a buzzword for you as a positive or a negative. It doesn't really matter, but I'm going to give you the formula in the minute. I think even if you're a non believer, a non-Christian, a non-person of faith, I think you're going to really like and agree with this formula if you haven't already seen it in your own life as a universal truth, okay? If that's, an, if that's not a setup, I don't know what is, so let's jump in. So real quick, let me give you this tension I have felt being a Christian and becoming very wealthy. I never intended to be wealthy. What I intended to do was to become famous. That was my intention. I really didn't care about money. What I cared about was doing something I really wanted to do for a living. I did not want to sit at a desk. I did not want to sit at a cubicle. I did not want to be a normal person. Um, I wanted to be a rock star. So I wanted to do fun, creative work. I wanted to wake up every day and love what I did for a living and do cool things, be with cool people, and go cool places. I love travel. I love music. I love performance. 
performance as a theater kid, a musician. So like being a rock star made so much sense. And I love the attention and the limelight, even though I'm an introvert and I love being on stage. So I thought, yeah, I want to be a famous musician. That was it. The money I never really cared about. I wanted to make enough to live my life. I just never wanted to really buy things. I, I don't need much and I never did. So money was never my pursuit. When I, in fact, I assumed either I made it big and then money would never be an issue or I would be a struggling musician, but at least I'd be able to do what I love for a living. And when I met Shay, my wife, but then girlfriend, and we became serious, I, I told her back in college, like, look, I'm going to be a musician. Like, I, you know that, right? Like, I'm not going to be making a lot of money. And that's, that's why I know she loves me because even though we're really wealthy now, there were no prospects back then when we were 17, 18, 19, and we were starting to date. She was like, I like you for you. I love you for you. Let's go. So I know she's my ride or die because there was no money in the picture back then. But that was my reality. And that's what I expected. Fast forward, I'll skip a lot of the story, but fast forward, when I started my first business, The Recording Revolution, during the Great Recession, and it started to eventually take off, like end of year two, beginning of year three, I was hitting six figures in my third year, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm making like what my lawyer friends are making, and then when it became multiple six figures, then half a million dollars a year, and then a million dollars a year, and then multiple millions of dollars, it's like, what is happening? I am now wealthy, and I never set out to become wealthy. But I'm a Christian, and I kind of have been taught explicitly or implicitly that being wealthy and a Christian is a big no-no. And you might have heard this most famous verse on money that's often misquoted. Are you ready for it? You probably know what it is. Here we go. Here's the verse. Money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that? Oh, you've heard it. You know where you won't find that? In the Bible. It doesn't exist. <laughs> It does not exist. Like a lot of things that people quote from the Bible and live their lives off, it's not actually in the Bible because no one actually spends the time to read the Bible and it's not that hard, okay? It's right in front of us. It's the best-selling book of all time. It's free on the internet. There's apps, like just pick it up and read it. Here's where this verse comes from. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 is the end of a letter that Paul, who is a guy that met Jesus, hated Jesus, hated Christians, actually arrested them, killed them, was on his way to go arrest some Christians. And then Jesus, who's already dead and resurrected, shows up in a blinding light and blinds him literally and tells him, why are you arresting and killing my people? I'm literally God, I'm legit. And then he like completely has changed and converted to Christianity so much so that people are afraid of Paul because like, you're the guy that kills Christians. I don't really believe that you're actually a Christian now. Have you ever met somebody like that? You're like, that's the least likely person to be a person of faith. But then all of a sudden their life's completely turned around and they are a person of faith. That was Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, which were mostly letters to churches that he started or helped start or wanted to go visit. And he's helping give instructions to help people walk out their faith. And so this is a letter. 1 Timothy, written to a guy named, you guessed it, Timothy, who was one of his little apprentices and disciples, who is now leading his own church. So he's a pastor. So older pastor writing to a younger pastor, like how to deal with a bunch of crap in his church. This is the very end of that letter, chapter 6, verse 10. Here's the actual verse. You ready for it? For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the emphasis was mine, but there's three words I need to emphasize. Money for the love of money, not money, the love of money is a root, not the root, although some translations say the root, but it is a root if you look at it into the, in the Greek, of 
all kinds of evil, not of all evil, but of a lot of evil. And that is a fact. Loving money, which can be translated as greed, can be a route to all kinds of messed up stuff. I'm pretty sure we would all agree with that. And that's usually what comes to mind when people say money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and it has made people wander away from a faith. It's made people wander away from a good career, wander away from a family or a marriage. People get tempted to have more than they they really deserve to have or could have in that moment legally or ethically, and they want to reach for more faster, and it can lead us to all kinds of stupid stuff. Like We're all like John Maxwell. I spent time with John Maxwell the other week, which is a huge honor, and he said this over and over again, uh, and this is just so important to remember. He said, I am one step away from stupid, and so are you. Okay, We are all one step away from stupid. Um, And it's greed that really this verse is all about. What's important is not just that we read that verse correctly. I could just stop there and be like, see, it's misquoted. It's not that money is the root of all evil. It's that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But there's so much more if you keep reading. Just finish the chapter, finish the letter. Just seven verses later, Paul writes to Timothy again, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, can I get an amen, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. That's verse 17 and 18 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Whoa, right? A lot of different context there. Is this making some sense? Are you already getting some light bulbs going off? I hope you are. What I want to do is just give you three key thoughts from this whole passage that are so critical for you to understand, and then I'm going to give you the biblical formula for prosperity, okay? Thought number one, and I'm going to use Paul's language here where he says, command those who are rich in this present world. Um, He's saying, talk to the wealthy people in your congregation. Let Let me posit this to you. You are the rich person, You, yes, you are the rich that Paul is talking about in this present world. Uh, How do I know that? Well, because there's a lot of helpful resources out there. There used to be a website called Global Rich List. It's since forwards to a website called Giving What You Can, and they have a a table or a formula or a calculator called How Rich Am I? Very, very simple. You just type in from what country you're in, your annual income, uh, and then it calculates your income in relative international dollars, so a way to equivocate sort of your currency to other people's currencies according to the whole world. Because remember, we live in our own little world. We look at the world and make decisions and judgments about people in the world from our one vantage point, okay? I do this too. We have biases, and, and, and a lot of times they're not very helpful. We never think about the global reality of the world we live in and how we are positioned in contrast or in relative terms to those people. So, for example, here's the math, right? You ready for this? If you make $60,000 a year, U.S. dollars, so $5,000 a month. I teach my students how to launch online businesses I have for years, and they're getting to three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a month, usually within the first year, uh, and then I'm helping them get to $10,000 a month and beyond. If you make $5,000 a month, you are in the top 1% of income earners worldwide. 
if you're old enough, you remember sort of the Occupy Wall Street movement when people were literally like picketing in the streets in on Wall Street to the to the the wealth managers and the stock traders and saying basically like down with the one percent, like the the one percent, and they were just pointing their fingers at the one percent. But what they were doing was just picking this one little random sliver of what we would call the one percent in America, which is very 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 wealthy. But did you know that if you make sixty thousand a year or five thousand dollars a month U.S., you are you're the one percent. You should occupy yourself. You should like pick it at your own house because you are the one percent that you're pointing the finger at. You're just choosing to ignore the rest of the world when you point the finger at those on Wall Street or the celebrities or the wealthy business owners or whomever you want to point the finger at. Uh, you're the top one percent if you make five thousand a month. Your income is twenty one point three times. 21 times the median income worldwide in household equivalized international dollars. That's what allows the comparison to actually be helpful. Okay, that's incredible, right? If you just make minimum wage in America, which they just did a lot of, of, of work to get the minimum wage up to $15 an hour. If you make $15 an hour, which you can make if you go to McDonald's, flipping burgers, or go to a gas station like Wawa, just working the register, you can make $15 an hour. Okay, minimum wage in America, full-time. If, if you had to work a full-time job at McDonald's, right, that's $30,000 a year. You are still in the top 5% of income earners worldwide, and your income is more than 10 times the global median income. I don't care if you feel rich. That's not the point. You are rich. Like, these are just facts, Okay, how we feel is this relative concept because we look at Instagram, we look at people, you might even look at me and say, well, I'm not rich compared to Graham. I look at people, I'm in a mastermind with guys that are doing $100 million a year. I'm like, I'm not rich compared to them. So I don't make, so it's all relative. That's, that's made up in your head. The facts are, you are the wealthy. If you are an American and you have a job or the government sends you checks for not working, I have opinions about that. Or you live in a developed country that's not America, that's very similar, and you're making equivalent dollars. You can look it up yourself online. You are the rich. So we shouldn't point our fingers and make up our own versions of who rich is and who's not. We're the rich. And that perspective is huge. So keep in mind, as you think about money is the root of all evil, well, when Paul says command the rich to not be arrogant, to be generous, all these things that we're going to unpack in a second, he's talking to you. He's talking to me. We are the rich. We won the you know, global lottery ticket if we were born or are able to live in a country that allows us to work and have property rights and, and own a home or have a safe place to rent that won't be taken from us, to be able to have intellectual property, to be able to start a business, just even to be able to go to McDonald's and make $15 an hour, we're making 10 times what the rest of the world makes. We're in the top 5%. It means 95% of the rest of the world makes less than you. 95%. Okay, so you're the rich. That's point one. That could shift a whole lot about how you judge people. Point two, money can't be evil if God gives it to us. You ever think about that? Now, you may not say out loud that you believe money is evil, because I actually don't think a lot of people really deep down inside believe money is evil. They say it when they're jealous or they're comparing themselves to somebody else or they want to just vent about their situation not being what they'd like it to be. But I don't think deep down inside we believe money is evil. And we know this to be true because we can see the good money can do, which we'll get to in a minute. But we also know that money can't be evil if God gives it to us. God is good. 
He can't be anything other than good. And all throughout Scripture, I mean, I, I had to just like cut myself off. There's thousands of Scriptures about money and possessions. Jesus talks about it more than any other subject. But there's a lot of Scriptures that talk about money being given to us. So he gives us money and wealth and stuff it can buy for our enjoyment, which we saw in this verse. Verse 17, God gives us richly everything for our enjoyment. Okay, so he actually gives us stuff and money to enjoy. So it can't be evil if he gives it to us to enjoy. Ecclesiastes 5.19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth, oh, big problem, God's given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. Wow, okay, so money and wealth and possessions and power to enjoy that money and wealth and possessions is a gift of God. Well, there's another scripture there, so it can't be evil. Money can't be the root of all evil, if God gives it to us as a gift. Big distinction here, right? In our passage of 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says that basically money is not our provider. We shouldn't put our hopes in money. We should put our hope in God. God's actually the provider because money is a thing. God gives us the money. So we money's not really our security if there's one above money that gives us the money. God is the one who gives us wealth. So Deuteronomy 8.18 You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. (laughs) Man, so are you saying that the Bible says God gives money and possessions and wealth as a gift? He gives it to us for enjoyment, and he gives us the power to get wealth and create wealth? Yeah. Hey, we'll get back to the episode in just a moment, but I wanted to give you a gift for hanging out with me in today's episode. I want to give you access to a free on-demand video training to teach you how to build your first thousand dollars of passive income in just 30 minutes a day. This workshop is packed with not only the things you need to create passive income, but the order in which you need to create them, how they tie together, templates you can use for swipe copy, scripts you can use, the exact tools that are both free and cheap that you can implement and use today, including how to figure out what your profitable idea is if you haven't launched your business. I cover all of this. I pull back the curtain on my business model that I'm using right now while you're enjoying this episode and how I'm generating a million dollars a year plus in two businesses. It's all inside of this workshop and it's free. I want you to watch it because it is the business model I believe in. If you like what you'll see in this workshop, then you will know that what I'm teaching you has got substance and it's a good fit for you. So watch it, take notes and apply it and you can build an online passive income business off of a free video training. Just go to grahamcochran.com slash workshop. That's grahamcochran.com slash workshop. Now back to the episode. And then here's a crazy story. You ever read 1 Kings 3? You ever heard about Solomon? Okay. King David, the most famous uh, king of all of, of Israel. And I think there's more written about King David in the Bible than any one person, at least outside of Jesus. Um, but there might be more about David than even Jesus at times. But a lot written about him. He's so important. God, a man after God's own heart. You know, made a lot of stupid mistakes as well. But it's his son, Solomon, who takes over. And Solomon becomes the wisest and wealthiest king in the world. But listen to this exchange. I just couldn't even sum it up for you. Solomon is put in charge when his dad is going to die as king, but he's young. So imagine like a 14-year-old, 15-year-old kid who's now taking over for King David, like the most epic dude. He killed Goliath. Like he built, you know, a a temple. Like it's crazy, right? Um, Well, he he wanted to build a temple, but he built a kingdom. So Solomon basically has a dream one night. Well, keynote. He actually offers a thousand offerings to the Lord. 
he burns a thousand offerings, which is more than necessary. So he sacrificed a lot to God, which is an interesting side note. And it says, 1 Kings 3, verse 5, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. Solomon has a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Lights out. Lights out. This is like Aladdin kind of moment. Like God doesn't say this very often. I don't think I've seen this that often in scripture. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Verse six, Solomon answered, you've shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You've given, continue this great kindness to him, blah, 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 blah. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king. He's talking about himself. You've made me king in place of my father, but I'm only a little child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. He says that the people that you've given me to rule are too too numerous to count or number. So here's what he asks for. Verse nine, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? He's asking for wisdom. He's asking for discernment. Verse 10, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Verse 11, so God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor you've asked for the death of your enemies, but you asked for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor never will be. Verse 13, here's the kicker. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. How ridiculous is this? God even gives wealth to someone who doesn't even ask for it. So we know money can't be evil because God gives it to people, and God isn't evil, and God isn't setting people up to be tricked, right? That's not how he, that's not how he plays. So that brings us to our third and final key point here. What's the takeaway for all of this? You're the rich, I'm the rich. Money can't be evil because God gives it to us as a gift. So what are we supposed to do? Here it is. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. This is something I was trying to teach my kids when they were really young. We're blessed to be a blessing. Be a blessing to others. This comes from a very, very clear passage, but I'm going to unpack it for where we are here in 1 Timothy 6, verse 18. Remember, Paul says to Timothy, hey, talk to the rich people in your congregation. Tell them not to trust in their money, which is uncertain, right? It can come and go, but put their hope and trust in God who gives us the money to enjoy. And then he says this in verse 18, command them, here's what they're supposed to do, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I think the verse that sums up how wealth and blessing tie into what we're supposed to do with it is summed up perfectly in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verse 2, where God is speaking to another person, it's very, very important, it's Abram, or Abraham, as his name gets changed to. And God is giving Abram, or Abraham, a promise about how even though he doesn't have any kids and he's 100 years old, right, he's gonna have children, he's gonna have a nation come from him. And this is what he says in Genesis 12 too, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. Now, I don't think all of us are meant to be made famous. I think in this day and age, it's a lot easier to become famous because of the internet and the power of social media. You can be famous to a certain group of people all around the world faster and easier than ever before because before you had to get people in stadiums like Roman Colosseums, thousands of people to watch you talk or fight or do something. Now you can just get on Instagram. You can get on YouTube. So I think all of us have the ability and probably the likelihood of becoming famous in our own circles of influencing thousands, right? 
if you have, if you ever get to 5,000 people following you on Instagram or on your email list or on your YouTube channel, that's the equivalent of maxing out a theater of 5,000 people in attendance, which is a huge theater in college. Uh, the theater that I performed a lot in, in my all male acapella group, AKA a boy band, uh, I did for battle of the bands with my bands, all that kind of stuff. And we had some bands come into town. If we, if we didn't have space in the, uh, basketball arena, we would do, uh, concerts in, in this big, uh, hall and it was a big auditorium and it had like seats that went way, 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 way back and then it had a balcony seats and it fit 5,000 people. And when I got on the stage multiple times in there, when it was packed to 5,000 people, it's a lot of people. If you speak in front of 5,000 people, you and I easily have the ability to create uh, fame in front of 5,000 people. So we are going to be famous, but I think if you're ever blessed and you are blessed, if you're listening to this, watching this, you're blessed because you have access to the internet. If you're blessed and famous, you know why God blesses you and maybe makes you famous in your corner of the internet to be a blessing to others. That's it. So th this is something I live by and I really believe in. Uh, I talk about it a bit in my TEDx talk about why givers are happier. I think when you give, there's a lot of physiological evidence to like giving physically makes you, you happier. Like it, it releases endorphins in a way that just is, it's hard to top. But that's just the science of it. Like you will be happier if you give. But here's the bigger principle. We were made to give. And to give something means you have to have something to give, right? And when you give something, you never actually lose it. It's not fixed by, I gave you a slice of my pizza, like I had pizza with my daughters last night. Mom's out of town, so we did what we call D-Squad, Daddy-Daughter Squad, which means we get to watch Men in Black back-to-back, -back, one and two, and watch and eat pizza, right? So we're having pizza. And the problem with pizza is you give a slice to your kid, the other kid, you run out of slices, that's called fixed pie economics. I don't believe in that. that. That is a theory and it's wrong. I really believe in an abundance mindset, which is as you give more wealth and prosperity is created, it's more like a candle, right? Have you ever been into a candlelit ceremony for Christmas Eve or any kind of beautiful environment where there's everyone's given a candle and one person lights their candle to start, right? And that person then leans their candle over to another person's candle wick and it lights their candle and the flame jumps to their candle. But does it ever actually leave your candle when it goes to that candle? No, it multiplies. And then you pass it on, they pass it on, we all pass it on. Eventually the entire church or the entire arena is filled with lit candles. One flame multiplied to thousands of other flames. That's really what giving looks like. The biblical picture of generosity and giving is multiplication. It's never... Uh, like just shuffling money around or shuffling resources around and now from my pocket to your pocket. It's from my pocket to your pocket, but then there's more in my pocket. And it's hard to explain, but it's the, it's the way Jesus operated. It's the way the Old Testament teaches it. It's the way the New Testament teaches it with Paul as well. I don't have time to get into the generosity verses. Maybe we'll do that in another episode. But here is how it relates to what we're supposed to do. The principle behind all things is that we are blessed to be a blessing. That is it. So here is the biblical formula, in my opinion, for money and prosperity, and we'll land this plane. You ready for it? Five steps. Very simple. God blesses you. Whether you believe in God or not, God blesses you with talent, skills, ideas, and work ethic. You have something, even if you're broke. I was broke 14 years ago. Big recession, world was falling apart, on food stamps, baby, mortgage, wife, starting a church, starting a business, stress, no money. I was broke, so I didn't have money, but what did I have? I had talents. I didn't think they were worth very much, but I had some. I had some skills. Uh, I had some ideas. I had work ethic. I also had a computer. I wasn't like on the streets, right? So like my story is not that sad, um, but I had no income. I had some basic things to start with. You have something to start with. 
That's all. We all start, some people start further ahead than other people. Doesn't really matter. We all start somewhere, right? If you're born in America or a developed country, you're already a head start of 95% of the rest of the world. So don't compare yourself to other people's start. Look at the other people who, you're, you're, they would love your start, okay? So God's blessed you with talent, skills, ideas, and work ethic. That's part one. So that, why? Two, you can be a blessing to others by adding value in the marketplace. Whether you work for somebody else or you own your own business, your job is to add value in the marketplace. When you do that, you serve somebody, you create a product, you coach somebody, you, you, whatever you're doing in the marketplace, you push a lawnmower, you flip a burger, you get paid. That's step two, which in turn gives you money and wealth. Four, which is meant to be enjoyed and shared with others. What a concept. I think we like the idea of enjoying the money we get, but we miss out on the most powerful thing, which is to share with others. Why? Because that leads to the final and fifth part of the biblical formula for prosperity and money, which is when you share with others, that in turn leads to more blessing from God. It's the biblical model of sowing and reaping. And I've got a bajillion verses to unpack there, and I decided not to do that today to keep this focused, but this is the formula. When you have more blessing from God, it goes all the way back to the top. I'll say it again, right? Step one, God blesses you with talent, skills, ideas, and work ethics so that two, you can be a blessing to others by adding value in the marketplace. So three, which in turn gives you money and wealth. Four, which is meant to be enjoyed and shared with others. Five, which in turn leads to more blessing from God and the cycle continues until you die. This is what we're meant to do. Don't be a reservoir, be a river. Let money, let ideas, let opportunities, let talents and skills flow through you to other people and more will come through you and flow through you. Let it flow. So bringing us all the way back to the top, money is not evil, money is neutral. People can be evil and do evil things, right? Money is not evil. Dave Ramsey, I've heard Dave Ramsey say, a brick is not evil. A brick can be used to build a house or it can be used to bash in a window and, and steal something. The brick itself is neutral. It's whose hand is the brick in and what is the brick used for? Fire is not inherently evil. Fire is not inherently dangerous. If you know what you're doing with fire and you use it properly, it can warm your food and cook your food and heat your house. Use improperly, it can burn your house down. It can hurt somebody. So there's a lot of things in life that are neutral, but you have to know how to handle with care. I think money is a lot more like fire than a brick because money can, this is the warning here, that being eager for it can make you wander away and pierce yourself with many griefs or sorrows, depending on the translation. Like you'll regret this endless pursuit of money. That's why pursuing money isn't the goal. Pursuing your calling, your purpose in service of others actually will create wealth and money, which you'll have a great life and you'll be able to give money away. Friend, I have given more money away than I ever thought I would make in my life and I keep making more money. How does that work? How is that possible? It's, you're blessed to be a blessing. It's this beautiful cycle. So just remember, money is not evil and it's not the root of all evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So you need to be careful with it. You gotta understand that you are the rich All right, so don't point the finger. Money can't be evil if God gives it to us and we're blessed to be a blessing. What do you think? If you're watching on YouTube, leave me a comment. Do you agree? Do you disagree? You ever wrestled with this verse? You ever misquoted it yourself or misbelieved it or misheard it? I know I have. And have you wrestled with the tension of having wealth and being a person of faith or having wealth and, and feeling guilty about it in a culture that both 
elevates wealth and celebrates wealth and then demonizes the wealthy in movies and in uh, media. It's a real weird tension to live in. Anybody felt that? I'd love to know your thoughts. And uh, let me know if you like this episode. We went a little off in a different direction. Let me know if you like it or hate it. I'm curious. I'm open to your feedback and thoughts. I only want to serve you. But thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for hanging out with me today and letting us unpack something really, really important. I hope it served you because that's my goal. Have an amazing rest of your week and I'll see you on another episode real soon.